I was thinking this week, we're going to talk about going deeper in prayer. And I can't do this in one week, so next week I'm going to uh, follow up with part two because I wrote a message and I realized yesterday, like I actually wrote two messages. So part one and part two. But I was actually thinking about where we all learned to pray. And so just rhetorically in your mind, like where did you, where did you learn how to pray? Um, was it from your parents? Was it from the church that you were brought up in? Um, did you learn it from people that were praying on the TV? I mean, where, where, did you, where did you learn to pray? Not just what you were taught, but also what you were modeled. I find that a lot of us, it's not that we were taught how to pray, it's that it was modeled to us and we picked that up somewhere along the, along the way. But I, I have to admit, and this is just the honest truth, I've personally struggled with prayer even though I'm committed to praying, even though you'll find me in the prayer room, and even though that has a lot to do with my experience, I've always been a person that prays in the prayer room. I, I love to be an intercessor. It's how I identify in the body of Christ. That's, that's who God's called me to be. And, but I struggled with it a lot, and there's a lot of reasons. There, there are things that I've actually struggled with, and I wanted to share some of those with you today. Like I struggled with how many people around me over the years have utilized prayer only to benefit themselves, including me. I was a real estate agent for 15 years, and I cannot tell you how many times I was sitting with a seller who believed that they should list their house price fifty dollars to $60,000 over what the market would bear. And they, when they were Christian, on, honestly, they would say, like, I just believe that the Lord wants to really bless us in our move and transition. <laughs> and after you hear that a dozen times, you know, you learn to keep a straight face but in my mind, I often would think, well, does God want to bless the buyer or just you, you know? <laughs> but see, that's the thing is we don't often realize that our prayers can be centered with just around us. And so if we're not careful, this is what I, I've struggled with that. And yes, I've done it too. I'm a hypocrite. I've struggled with this myself. I struggle with why some prayers weren't answered. Why did some get answered and some not? Why did this person get the same prayer answered and I didn't? I prayed the same thing. And I struggled with the idea of quiet prayer. <laughs> you just need your quiet time with the Lord. I, I came out of the womb non-quiet. I am an extrovert. Hello, my name is Ben. I'm an extrovert. Some of you are introverts. I am not. I think many of you that were part of the church with Pastor Steve and Mary when we transition from them to me, I think you realize very quickly that I'm a little louder and I'm a little bit more of an extrovert. And that was, that's not gonna change, by the way. I think as I get older, the decibel levels might turn down a little bit. But I've always struggled. And one time I was listening to Jack Hayford preach about prayer. And he said, for those of you that have wandering thoughts or can't keep your legs still, keep a journal. And whenever you have a wandering thought, write it down and then just move on with prayer. And you know, that was a very practical thing that helped me uh, at that time in my life. You see, you write things down. That's why I have a journal for prayer. And half the time, there'll be other things written in there because I struggled with this idea of quiet time. I mean, I read, I think it's Psalm 4610, right? Be still and know that I'm God. And I'm like, well, how still? What does the Hebrew really mean there? <laughs> be still. Has, have any of you struggled with this idea? Be still, like, I have to get in my car and drive to engage something while I pray. And for years, I felt guilty about that because you'd hear someone talk and teach as though they can sit there for like hours. And I'm like, if I sit there longer than 20 minutes, I'm either gonna fall asleep or do something I don't wanna do. So I had to find a way to figure out a middle ground. We're all different, right? We're all different. I struggle with how some pastors and leaders taught and modeled prayer to me. And you've heard me talk about this a little bit in the past, and, and it, I, I struggled with how prayer was sort of like a mechanism to get what we want from God rather than have a relationship with them. I deeply struggled with that, and, and, I, don't, and I, don't, I don't appreciate that kind of theology. Now, in, in 1999, I, I got saved. You've heard my story. But I started going to this little Pentecostal church, and they sat about 200 people in the sanctuary, but it was always full with 300 people. So you do the math. If you ever needed to go somewhere while you were engaged in the service, you could barely move. It was standing room only. We think we're full. No, no, no. 
They were so full you couldn't even move, right? You could feel the breath of the person next to you. And there was a, kind of like a revival that was happening during those, during those days. And so the church that I was attending at the time had been experiencing a revival that had happened in Florida, the Pensacola outpouring. And so it was all about repentance and coming to Christ and all this. And so it was, they had services every night and I was there and I was bringing as many people with me as possible. And so the pastor one night said, hey, we need all of you. There's 300 people here. We want all of you to come to our intercession meeting on Thursday night. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna obey the pastor. So I show up, me and I bring somebody with me and there's 10 people there and literally all of them for two hours straight, they didn't explain what was going on. There was no instruction at all. And I was a brand new believer. And all the guys did was for like two hours, they walked aggressively back and forth, praying in tongues as about loud as you can. And I'm a brand new Christian sitting in the chair going like, I have no idea if I belong here. This was like my first exposure to intercession. Can you just feel my pain for a second? Listen, do any of you have this experience? Like there's no explanation. And so you kind of feel like you need to get up and start walking like, yes, shaka, shanda. Is that, was that it? Did I do it? Is that, you don't know what's, what's going on. And then I moved to a Baptist church in 2000. And this was a, a fundamental Independent Baptist Church, King James only. I didn't know. I was a brand new Christian. They preached the word. I figured that was good enough. That's fine. I'm not here to diss any Baptists. There's all kinds of Baptists, by the way. I happened to land in a cessationist Baptist church. And I liked the preacher because he preached on the book of Jeremiah. And I just, I was mesmerized by that. And so they said, we've got our prayer meeting on Sunday night. So I went Sunday night and all of them, there's about 50 people in the sanctuary and they all got up, they turned around and they put their face into the back of the chair and they got on their knees. And I looked at everybody and I have no idea the protocol, but I'm like, I think right now I need to get on my knees and put my face into the back of the chair. And all you could hear was kind of like a murmur or a groan. You couldn't like hear any words to like agree with. It was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. There you go. That's what I heard. I'm not even exaggerating. It was just a murmur in the sanctuary. You couldn't hear one thing being said. In 2001, I, I joined a large, you could see I'm church hopping at this point. <laughs> Frogger, I'm just jumping. Um, I was trying to find a place <laughs> and... In 2001, I joined a large church and they had a worship and prayer night on Wednesday night. So I went and I went every week actually. And I landed there for, for quite a while until I tra transferred to a church in Kirkland where I became the youth pastor. But what was interesting about this church is that it said worship and prayer, worship and prayer. I came, there was worship, but there was no prayer. And so for them, worship was prayer. And so I was waiting for prayer. It never happened. And so I thought, okay, this is just, that's what they do. And, and so with all of these environments, I was exposed to a lot of different people, a lot of different denominations. And then the pastors would say like, you know, in your own personal life, you need to pray. And I thought, yeah, I, I need to do that. But a lot of times there's not a lot of instruction. That's where you get into trouble when you start teaching the how, because the Bible tells you the what, but it doesn't always tell you the how, or it doesn't instruct you specifically and uh, on everything. There are some instructions, right? And so I wouldn't always get instructions. So this is what I did. When they said pray, I would take my Bible and for whatever reason, I read the whole book of Ezekiel and I put my Bible in the middle of my room. I put it on the floor and I kneeled, I knelt when I prayed and I just read scripture and I started to pray. And it was during that time where I would just kneel on the floor until my knees were numb, where I really learned more about hearing the voice of God. There was a very intimate time. It was a relationship with God. And I, I sensed his presence and his nearness, his closeness. And I learned to love his presence. And, and prayer wasn't much like it was in corporate settings because personal prayer and corporate prayer are very different and they're supposed to be. You can't you can't assume or expect that what you do in the secret place is the same for the gathering place. It's not, it's, it never will be. And I think we get confused about that, but this is where I started learning. And, and I really had this prayer in my heart, which I read about in Luke chapter 11 and verse one, a disciple comes to Jesus and he says, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. 
That's the request that I had. Lord, teach me to pray. I want to learn how to pray. The disciples that were observing Jesus during that time, they were familiar with a Jewish context, but they were not familiar with a Jesus context of prayer. I'm not saying Jesus didn't abide by some of the Jewish tradition where they would pray in the morning, in the afternoon, and the night three times. We now have a book called the Siddur, and in there is about 20 prayers, maybe 30 prayers that Jewish people would pray. They've been written in a book, and they would pray these very specific prayers. I'm sure Jesus grew up praying those prayers, but he also did something that other people had never really seen before. We see about three dozen times Jesus prayed for people, and he did it publicly. We see about nine times where Jesus, like he did in Mark 1.35, where Jesus went off to a solitary place and he prayed. He was alone with the Father, usually all night. So when people saw Jesus go away and they knew that he was praying, they observed something about his prayer life that actually touched everything else that he did. And so we can conclude by that and the request that they had for Jesus that if we want to live out the ministry of Jesus, we also need the prayer life of Jesus. So we have to ask the question, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And his answer is, is absolutely, because nobody is an expert on prayer. It is something that we continue to grow in and learn. We have to go deeper. And if we're gonna go deeper in our walk with God, it's gonna include prayer. And with that, we're gonna go to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter six. I wanna start with verse five. Jesus said, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they might be seen by men. Truly, I say to you that they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as a as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Going deeper in our relationship with God, it has to include, it has to involve prayer. And I don't need a show of hands today as I consider whether or not we need to know more and grow more in prayer. The answer is we all do. And so what does that, what does that mean? So today I just want to talk to you about two things. I just want to talk to you about what prayer is not, and then I want to talk to you about what prayer is, at least from what Jesus talks about, talks about here. What prayer is not. Let's start with what is not. I, I think that's really important. Jesus teaches like a lot of rabbis, or at least he uses the methodology of many of the rabbis. They would often unteach something before they would teach it. You have to level something before you can build in its place. And so this was a, a very effective way of teaching in their culture. And, and I think it can be today where you're deconstructing in order to construct. If you deconstruct without constructing, it's very dangerous. But thank God that Jesus doesn't just do that. And so he's talking about various models that they're used to. They're used to seeing the pagans and the way that they worship and pray to their deities. And he's talking about the Jews are the religious leaders, Orthodox Jews, and the way that they're praying. Those are the two models that people had in their culture. And he addresses uh, both of them. But, but I think we can understand why he would go straight towards the issue of, of how not to pray. When I was taught how to use power tools, maybe some of you were taught how to use heavy machinery or power tools. Remember, a chop saw. I, I, was, <laughs> I was a young boy and I was taught how to use a chop saw. The first lessons were never about how to chop something right. It was about how to not chop off your hand. <laughs> the first lessons were about cord placement and hand placement and making sure that the chop saw was on a level ground. Why? Because something that powerful, if it's misused, could be dangerous. I actually think that principle applies here. Something as powerful and as important as prayer, if it is misused, it can be destructive to people. 
I think that's why Jesus goes at it in, in, in this way. And there's three things he brings up. The first is prayer is not a competition with other people. He says in verse five, do not be like the hypocrites. And they stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners. And here's why. Because they want to be seen by other people. Jesus said there are some who just want others to think that they're really spiritual. They're just putting on a show. There's nothing real or authentic about what they're doing. And when he said that, the disciples and everyone listening probably scoffed and sneered like they understood what he was talking about. And I think even in our modern culture, we probably do as well. We've had examples that were very inauthentic when it comes to prayer. And maybe we've realized that we've participated in, in that ourselves they were playing. They were not praying. When they were in the synagogues and on the street corners, it wasn't before God, it was before people. And so when you're performing for the best actor in the Spiritual Academy Awards, Jesus said very clearly, then you'll get your reward. The only problem is God's not the one passing them out. You're going to get it from other people because that's the reason that you did it. You were a, an actor and you're playing a part. It, it'd kind of be like this. This is a really bad illustration, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do it anyways. Let's just say that, uh, and these always go over better when my wife's not here, but, um, <laughs> but because I preached to you about accountability, I have no problem with that. So let's say I took my wife uh, to a fabulous restaurant, just fabulous. And, and we had dessert and dinner and a nice walk. And hey, let's throw in a foot massage. Amen. <laughs> and a foot massage. And, and she asked me, she, she said, well, what's, what's the occasion there, big guy? What's, what's, the, what's, the special, what's the special occasion? And I said to her, well, um, it's funny you should ask that. You might have noticed that at every place that we were at, I took a little selfie uh, of us. And, uh, you know, while I was massaging your feet, I took a little selfie of that. And I posted it on my social media platforms because I wanted everybody else to think about how great of a husband I am. Is that, that doesn't happen today, does it? Not at all. And, uh, and then I just wonder what might come out of her mouth. I just wonder how she, how would you feel about that? She would, she, you would laugh. You would laugh because she knows if he's serious, right? It's going to be a bad night. <laughs> that's why she would laugh. She would laugh. That's not going to happen. That's, that's it. So, but let's just say I was serious though. Wow. Let's say I was serious. I did all of this so that I could show other people what a great husband I am. Wow. That's what Jesus is talking about. I will violate my relationship with my wife to get something from other people to make me feel good about myself. Oh, wow. Prayer is about a relationship and Jesus is rebuking what people are using it for because it's a violation of the relationship that he came to establish with God. Praying publicly was not the issue, guys. He had, no, he had no problem with that. Jesus prayed publicly, didn't he? He laid hands on people publicly. He healed the sick publicly. It wasn't about praying publicly. It was always about the heart. What is in the heart? And so this is the posture that he's trying to expose in order to move people towards something that, that God really wants with people. Don't violate the relationship. The second point is this. Prayer is not a formula for success. Look at verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. This term in Greek here, meaningless repetition, it's not used very often, and it means similar to what it's translated in English, but it can also be used as mechanically repeated phrases, like over and over and over again. And this is what the pagans would do to placate their gods. They were polytheistic, and so they would often do things like cut themselves or repeat phrases, and they did this because they thought it was a spiritual performance. If I say this enough, if I do this passionate enough, if, the, if I engage in this over and over and over again, it's almost like the cup will fill up and eventually it'll tip over and pour out in my favor. 
They had this as an example in their culture, and Jesus said, this is not some formula for success. When he references the Gentiles, he's not just talking about non-Jewish, he's talking about those that worshiped other gods. So prayer is not a formula with our volume and our tone and our word count and our eloquence and our repetition. Those things don't matter to God the way that we often think that they do. Some of us do not pray out loud because we're concerned about how other people will think when it comes out of our mouth. And that's the last thing that we should be thinking about because God doesn't care about that at all. God doesn't care if your grammar's right. He doesn't care if it's long or short. He cares if it's offered from the heart. He's looking for the heart posture. We can say three words and it matter more than 300. You can say it quiet. You can say it loud. It's not about the decibel level. It's about the heart because this is embedded in relationship and we get it confused and Pentecostals can be the worst at this. And I am one because we think, man, it's really awesome. Today was really slamming. The worship was really amazing. The music was banging. Man, the prayers were on fire. Why? Because it was loud. So the louder, the better. It's like we, we get to this volume and finally it's like the bowl tips over and God answers our prayers. And friends, he doesn't care if you're loud. Some of us are loud, be loud. But if you're quiet, be quiet. If you're an introvert, you're an introvert and you shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't feel pushed and pressured that you're not loud as everyone else or you're not louder than any. It's not a competition and it's not a formula. There's not like when you finally get to this place, you know, then... And only then you'll get the answer from God. See, it's ridiculous when we start putting it in these terms. It, om it almost makes you squirm, you know, because there's something about it. I I've, I've seen people preach this way. You've heard it yourself, where it's almost like, here's the secret to prayer. There's no secret to prayer. It's just come. And that can be hard enough. The enemy wants to oppose us coming to God in prayer because there's so much power in a person with a right heart offering themselves right where they are to God. This relationship is powerful. It's, it's powerful. It's the relationship. None of us as fathers and mothers care about the child that we have that's louder or the one, I mean, often we want them to tone down a little bit maybe. The other ones that are more quiet, it's sincerity. That's the sincerity of the relationship. That's all we care. All of our kids are different. We don't care about that. But, but sometimes in a Pentecostal world, I, I won't talk about the Baptists and I won't talk about Catholics. I won't I'm just going to beat up on my own team, all right? So, amen. It can almost be like, you know, some people, I, I was in deliverance ministry, prayed for a lot of healing on teams, a lot of that. And it was always, there are always people and I, I was off put by this. It was like, if you just pray it this way, and if you just say it this way, then the healing's gonna happen. If, if, you, just, if you just name the demon, then it's gonna come out. It, it was always this weird stuff that like you had to learn. And if you learn to do it the proper way, then it was like, then God will hear. And I was always uncomfortable with that because I would just lay hands on people and this is me. Lord, whatever's wrong, we pray that you would make it right. And I would find that God would hear that. Have you found that? You, right? There are times you come into a situation and we don't know what to do. We don't even know how to pray. I'm praying for people often. I can't, even, I can't spell the medical condition. I certainly can't say it. So I just pray, Lord, heal in the name of Jesus. It, it's not a formula. There's no, there's no formula. And, and I think, listen, this is, you're going to have to go with me here. You're here, so you're going to do it. But I think there is something that affects the way that we think and the way that we pray, and we don't, really even, we don't really even know it. As I say it, you'll get it, and maybe you did before, but I think that we are affected by this winner, I call it a winner-loser theology. I'll give you an example for you football fans. 2014, Super Bowl, who won? Seahawks. Yeah, there's a couple football fans here. All right. Uh, Russell Wilson, uh, who's a Christian, and he was, he, was on the, he, he was in the camera. I saw, I watched this. And so they're, they're interviewing him and he's really emotional. Like all of Seattle is like 
football fans are just crying. Even people that aren't football fans, they're just crying because they just, they just love football so much. You know, I just never understood that. I, I'm basketball, you know, and you forgive that, all right? So, but I'm watching on television and Russell Wilson, they're interviewing him. They're like, how do you feel? And he's just like crying and just snot coming out of his face. He's just like, oh, and you'd expect that. Like, it's a big deal. It's never happened before in Seattle. So he's just like, oh, you know, like, God is good, man. God is so good. And, I, and that's cool. I'm glad he said God and I'm happy about all that. That's, I'm not dissing him. I'm just, God is so good. And then he's like, God gave us the victory. And I was like, what? No, 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 no. Stop. Right there. Follow me. God gave us the victory. So all the concussions. There's a couple people that will never play football again as a result of that game. So they were just a means to an end because God gave us the... I want you to follow this line of thinking. We have a winner-loser theology. God is for the winner and the losers will just push that over here and not deal with it. I just want to tell you that is not good theology. God didn't care about that game. That was our game, guys. We like football. Some like basketball. Some like UFC. That's all cool. God's, he loves our preferences, but they're not his. He cares about the people. He doesn't care about who wins the football game. Listen, if you don't agree with that, you're wrong and I'm right. So that's fine. <laughs> and it's okay if you like football. It's okay. But if we're going to put God into our terms, his ways are not our way. He cares about all the people on the field. He cares about the people that had a job and were making a living. We're just like, God gave me the victory. And I'm not, hey, Russell Wilson, if you're listening, man, right now, we love you, bro. You be you, do better in Denver, all right? Anyways, but we're, we're saying today, we're saying, what we're saying, it, what I'm trying to say is, some of you are guests, I'm not coming back to this church. I'm not, I won't be here next week, I won't. Yes, you will. Yes, because you're wondering what I'm going to say next week. That's why. <laughs> God is not for the winner and, not for the and, and he doesn't care about the loser. That's bad theology. That is not God. And so we have this, so we construct prayer as a formula to get from God what we want and we're willing to violate the relationship or even his character. And I'm not saying he should have said differently. He was emotional and he said that, but we've, we've got to think about what we're saying. When we come to prayer, we've got to think about maybe how God wants us to pray. In the prayer room, what I love when people start praying this in our pre-service prayer, and I hear it every week, the prayer goes up, Lord, tell us, speak to us about what to pray about today. I love that prayer because it suggests that we don't often know. And if I just run into the prayer room and I start to pray, or if I just jump into my secret place and I start to pray and I don't stop and pause and ask him, Lord, what do you want me to pray about? Often I can be praying for the things that center around me. And if I pause and I stop, the Lord will help my heart acclimate so that it's centered around him and his will. And we're going to get to that next week because Jesus actually shows us the real pattern of prayer. It's very powerful. But we've got to think about what we're praying about. I mean, I always thought it was funny um, because in my home, we never grew up praying some of the prayers that I've prayed at your dinner tables. But we always uh, <laughs> say, Lord, <laughs> you'd be eating something really bad for you. And you're like, Lord, bless this food to our bodies. I'm like, oh, he will. This fried chicken will be blessed to your body in more than one way. But it's not supernaturally going to become a salad on the way down. If that's what you're looking for. That's not going to happen, guys. And your kids are picking this stuff up. Look at what you're doing. Or Tim Hawkins, he's a Christian comedian. He'll say this. He'll say, Lord, bless the hands that prepared this. And he's like, why just the hands? Why not like the feet? Why not like the whole person? Lord, bless the hands. Make sure that they can continue to prepare good food for us next week. But just the hands. Just, just stop it, you know? Just thank God for the food. I don't know. Like in our home, we just thank God for You guys keep doing what you're doing. I've tried to teach people out of this stuff for years and it doesn't work. I'm going to stop right here because I could really blow up some stuff. All right. <laughs> I'm saying if it's a relationship with someone, think about who he is, think about what he wants, and then pray. Amen? That, that's, that's, 
that's really a better place to start. Number three, and finally, prayer is not giving God information. And I would say as though he doesn't know. Look at verse eight. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you actually ask him. If God already knows everything that's wrong and every need that exists, he doesn't need the info, but he does want the communication. Why? Because of relationship. I might know something that happened at my kid's school uh, the other day, but I still want them to come home and talk to me about it. It isn't the information that I'm looking for. And God is like 1,000 times higher in this regard. He's omniscient. But just think about that. It's not an informational transaction. Like as though he doesn't know, he wants that communication. He wants relationship. So prayer is a relational invitation to connect and to communicate and to receive. And also with intercession, it's to partner with him. So when we're interceding, we're partnering with what God already intends on doing. We know about that according to scripture. We find his will in here. And so sometimes we're praying and it's like, Lord, in case you're not aware, it's really dark these days. Our schools and our society and our workplaces and our na- my neighbors. And they put up that cultural sign in their yard that talks about everything, but it doesn't mention you, God. It doesn't mention you. I'm exaggerating here. You know what we are? We're afraid. There's an old song. We sing it with kids. He's got the whole world in his hands. When you pray, you have to have this mindset. He's got the whole world in his hands. He either does or he doesn't. And he is not fearful at all. Sometimes when we give God this information as though he doesn't know, we're revealing that we're really afraid. We're afraid of what we're losing. We're afraid of what that could mean to our life. We're afraid that we're gonna get persecuted. We're afraid. People talk about how fearful. And you know, listen, guys, I I, I get concerned and you might disagree with me on this, but listen, I just wanna have you consider it. Prayer is not God restoring to us the life that we want for ourselves. Prayer is about the glory of God and the mission of Jesus moving forward. That's what the Christian's life is about. And sometimes prayer is a revelation what our life is really about. So we're gonna see from Jesus. And so we wonder why he isn't answering some of those prayers. A lot of times we're not partnering with him. We're not moving in what he's moving in. We're not asking him for what he's actually doing because we're not the same, we're not on the same tracks as God. We're on a different train and different tracks and we're Christians and we love God and we think this is how it ought to be. But what if he's doing something entirely different that would cause suffering in our life? He doesn't need our information as much as he wants our submission and our yieldedness and our surrender to him. And that's what prayer starts with. It's Lord, I submit to you and whatever you're doing, however you're moving. That's that's what I desire. So prayer is not just giving him information, although we do give God information, but not as though he doesn't get it. That's what I'm saying. So what is prayer? Ben, you've talked a lot about what prayer is not. Prayer means to make a request simply. That's what it actually means. But we know from Jesus's model, it's so much more than that. We, We know that. So he modeled and taught prayer. He revealed things to his disciples. Number one, Prayer is communicating with God regularly. Prayer is communicating with God regularly. Jesus modeled prayer with regularity. It was constant. It was continual. It was ongoing. It was a normal part of his life. Prayer is talking to God about regular things and inviting him into everything. Everything. Work, school, home, church, You could just be walking down aisle 11 in Safeway. I do it all the time. I pray in the spirit. I don't have time to talk about praying in tongues, but I pray in the spirit. And sometimes I catch myself walking down the aisle in the grocery store, praying in the spirit. And then I, and I kind of like come to, and I'm like, whoa. And I I love that. It helps me to understand 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, where Paul said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, pray continually. The idea is that prayer should never stop. It's so regular in our life. It's such a normal part of our life. It's like walking. And so the biblical writers would use metaphors that we would all understand, like walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Using metaphors like water and bread, the things that we use with regularity, these metaphors were used because God intended for these practices to be normal in our life. They weren't just the secret place. It was supposed to be part of the ongoing life that we have with God. 
So think about what that means for you when you're at the store, when you're driving, when you're working, when you're with your family, everywhere and everything. Prayer is to be a part because God is with us. That's why prayer is so important because God is with, when you're sitting with your family, God is with you. When you're at church, God is with us. When you're driving in your car, God is with you. And so it's not inviting God to be with you. It's inviting him into the conversation that's in your head and asking him to speak to you, asking him to inform us, asking him to help us, help us to see, help us to act change this reality. We know this is your will. That prayer is acknowledging the presence of God with us and inviting him into all of our life and yielding to him. This is what it's about. It's, it's utterly relational and it's regular. Point number two is prayers connecting with God relationally. Verse six, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The inner room that he's talking about would be sometimes like a rooftop uh, storage room. Most houses in ancient Israel didn't have like an inner chamber unless they lived the fancy life, unless they had a lot of money. So people lived in one room. They, they all slept on the same floor. Mom, dad, brother, sister. I mean, it's odd. We didn't, I don't live that way, but that's what they did. So he was probably referring to a rooftop room where they would put maybe food or they would store things that needed to come out of the elements and not be affected or spoiled. And really it was just a metaphor. He's just using it to say, find that place where you can be alone, where the hustle and bustle isn't happening. There's a place that you need to come to. I want you to have a place where other people are not invited in. This is so sacred. This is so important. This is the best and the most important relationship that you should have, that there should be a place, regularity and relationship. Prayer in their culture was often based on formality or systems, whether that was the synagogue or they would just pray their, their daily prayers. Th those things were not wrong, but Jesus was adding to their understanding and saying it's so much more than you think. Prayer in our culture is often reactive. It's when something is wrong. It's very needs-based. Prayer is often needs-based, but prayer is supposed to be relationship-based. And Jesus is shifting that right there, isn't he? He's, he's giving them a new paradigm. It's not just needs-based. Hey, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. Be mindful of that when you ask because it's the relationship that causes you to ask and come in the first place. So prayer has to be grounded on relationship. That's the important part here that Jesus is talking about. So he says, go into your inner room because it matters so much. And then he says, shut the door behind you. Shut the door to your distractions, and we all have them. All of us are distracted. And so I'll tell on myself because we only have time for one person to talk about their failures today. <laughs> Some time ago, I was on a date with my wife, and it was a long day. I'm trying to justify it, you see. And I didn't get to my communication with people that day. I just didn't. And so I had lots of texts, lots of emails. And I had to come home a little early. So we make it to our spot and we order our food. And right away, I go to my phone. And at some point, my wife kindly and graciously, I don't think you'll remember this, maybe you will, but she kindly and graciously said to me, hey, we're on a date. <laughs> kindly and graciously. And for some reason, my mind was so busy, it took like three to four seconds to register. I mean, usually I'm, you know, Every piston is firing, you know, but not that day. And so it took a little while for me to slow down. And then I kind of went, <laughs> yeah, embarrassed, put my phone down and paid attention to the relationship. What, what, what did I do? I violated the relationship and the context, th this important meeting that her and I had, th this time together, this, the intimacy that we had planned for. I violated not only the relationship, but I violated our time together. I was saying to my wife, this is more important than this. I was saying to my wife, communicating with others right now is more important than communicating with you. And we do this with the Lord all the time. We do this with the Lord all the time. And Jesus is saying, you have to discipline yourself to find a place and go there and shut the door and stay there and have something that God has intended for you to have. 
That's what he's talking about. It's relationship-based. And we really can't blame anybody else if we have a better relationship with our iPhone than we do with the Lord. We can't. It's nobody else's fault. We're as close to God as, as we want to be. He said, pray to your father. God is more than our job recruiter, our bail bondsman, and our investment banker. He's our father. God is our father. Maybe we had a father who has distorted our view of who God is supposed to be in our life and who he is. Maybe that's happened to you and healing can come. In fact, being in relationship with our father heals the pain that we have from relationships in this life, and we're thankful for that. And the last point I want to make here as we close is prayer is trusting God completely. Again, your father knows what you need before you ask him. If God loves us, and he does, and if God is our father, and he is, he knows everything about us and our world, but he wants us to come. And we have to come trusting that God knows better than we do, he knows more than we do, and he loves us more than we can fathom. I mean, can you just imagine, do you like being around people that really enjoy your presence? I mean, I just, there's some people in my life, like when I'm around them, I just feel like a better person. They're just so excited to see you. Does anybody, do you have these people in your life? Just, oh, it's so good to be, and they're authentic as the day is long. They're not inauthentic. They're not like false. They're like, oh, it's so good to be with you. And man, you're amazing. And I, oh, just tell, tell me all about your life. They don't even care about telling you anything. They just want to know about you. Great listeners. Love everything that's going on in your life. Can find the positive, even if it's all negative. You could say, I've been depressed. It's been horrible. And they're like, yeah, but God's been really good to you. Like, man, we're breathing and everything. And you are, and you're doing it so well. You are. You're breathing. I see the breathing thing you're doing. It's good. You could teach a class on it. Wow, oh, it's amazing. They just, they, they, there are people like that. Picture God. He actually loves to be with us more than anybody else in the planet. When we come to him, he wants us to be there. And he doesn't, when we walk through the door into the secret place and we sit down, the first thing God says is not, well, it's been a long time. It's not what he says because it's not who he is. You know, it's something I might say. I just, I, I'm imperfect. I say dumb things. I, I make mistakes. I, sometimes my, my thoughts are not his thoughts. They're just not. But God doesn't talk like that. He doesn't even think like that. A God who would send his son Jesus to die on a cross, to bleed on our behalf, to pay a price. It's unfathomable. That God loves to be with us. And he doesn't care if our grammar's right or our eloquence isn't great, or if we sputter these words out and we don't say it the right way. You'll never feel like you made a mistake when you walk out of his presence. He never makes us feel, we might feel that, but it's not from God. Prayer is awesome. And I'm sorry if it hasn't been that way for you, but it is amazing. God's our father. And he's just like this, come. This is his invitation, just come. Every day, the Holy Spirit is drawing us to come. He actually wants it. I want to, I want to hear from you more than you want to speak to me. Not just about your needs, but I want to hear your heart. I want to speak to you. I want to teach you things that you've never known before. I want to say things to you you've never heard before. I want to talk to you about things that you're not asking about right now. I know it all, but listen, I my, set my love and affection on you. This relationship is fantastic. What's robbed it from us? So many things. I, uh, I guess this sermon is about relationship with God via prayer. Uh, but Jesus talks a lot about that, don't you think? He's reorienting their focus to a relationship-based model of prayer, and it needed to be deconstructed and reconstructed. That's what he's doing. And then he gives a model, which we'll talk about next week. And I want to share some things with you that, I mean, I'm learning. As I was studying it, it just kind of blew my mind, so I realized I had a whole other sermon on one verse and, and things that I just was kind of blown away by. But as I was considering this relationship that we have with God, I was thinking about a story. I may have shared it with you before, but... Let's pretend that I didn't. Uh, years ago, my daughter, I want to say she was seven. She had her first 
uh, sleepover. And when your kids have a sleepover, man, they're excited, right? Because it's like, uh, for us who are protective parents, we don't, our kids don't just come and go, right? We have to check. Every kid that comes into our house gets a background check and their parents. Uh, we have to know their doctors and their optometrists and their dentists and everything. <laughs> We're not controlling at all. But any, anyways, um, we've, we've just all been damaged by life. That's all it is, really. Um, it's not control. It's like, it's protection. But um, my daughter was having her first sleepover and she was like planning it all out and excited about it. And it was quite impressive, the, the planning that was going into this. And at dinner, we would hear about it like every night. It's like, I'm so excited and here's what we're going to do. And um, I was thrilled for her. I mean, this was just so powerful as a father, as a mother. But um, my son, I could see in his face, he wasn't as excited as his sister because he doesn't have a buddy coming to hang out with him. And so I looked over at him. I said, hey, buddy, we're going to have man night. And he was like, yes. <laughs> and so at dinner, it became like a competition of like her talking about her sleepover and then him talking about, I said, we'll do anything you want. And so there's like this competition that, that started. And so that night, him and I, we had a lot of fun. We did whatever he wanted to do. It was awesome. And, and then I was tucking him in and we, while I'm tucking him in, we could hear my daughter and her friend, they're still up and talking, you know, they're still chatting and having a great time. And, and as I'm walking out the door, my son doesn't like the fact that they're still up and uh, I'm talking for him, but, uh, but I would be the same way. He's like, you're leaving? <laughs> so he said, hey, dad. I said, yeah. He said, come here. So I said, all right. So I came and I sat down. He goes, no, 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 come here. So I like laid down and I'm looking at him like this. And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, all right, buddy, what's up? And he goes, oh no, I just wanted you to be here. And I just want you to be here. And uh, <laughs> so I just sat there and we just looked at each other. <laughs> and uh, what he doesn't know and di or didn't know, and he will come to understand if he has kids of his own, is that something just like broke in me. And the Lord reminded me of this, and I, I was just thinking about, I'm such an imperfect father, and we, we all are, but God is not. And he, like, I wanted to, I want to be with God like my son wanted to be with me. I just want you to be here. I'm not just asking for, for something from you. Like, I want prayer to be like this. We can stare in each other and, and be together. And this is eternity we're talking. That's prayer, guys. It starts with that relationship. It doesn't start with, I need this, I need this, I need this, and by the way, this, and could you throw this at me and make sure you put one of those in the bag too before you leave. We ask him for stuff, that's fine. But if that's all it is, friends, the Father wants so much more for us and he wants it to be in us. God, I wanna be with you. I wanna spend time with you because I love you and I'm overwhelmed by this love that you have for me. And I, I wanna pray this morning that God would restore to us our first love for him. He, he doesn't need any restoration of, first, of love for us. God, God doesn't need that. His love is full. But that doesn't mean that we're there. And so I wanna pray for that in, in the room today. So would you stand? Let's do that together, would you? And um, instead of a show of hands, who needs this? How about we all just be in on this prayer today? Amen? Yeah, Lord, thank you. Father, we thank you today in the name of Jesus for the drawing of the Holy Spirit into intimacy and closeness. And Lord, I just admit my prayer life often gets reduced down to the things that I need, and I'm sorry for making it just about that. I'm sorry that I have reduced our relationship to just what I'm asking for. I'm sorry that I haven't asked you enough about what I need to see and what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to think. Lord, I just pray for all of us today, those that are watching online, those that are in the room. I'm asking, Lord, that you would restore to us the way we're supposed to think about prayer, the way we're supposed to come to you and approach you as our heavenly father. And that if we see you the right way, Lord, this practice, this discipline, we call it, it will absolutely change because of us seeing you the right way. And it's really all about that. And I pray, Lord, that you would 
shift our paradigm somehow today from the words that I shared, but more so the scriptures that we read. Father, let it, let it change. I pray that we would be drawn to the secret place. The most important meeting that we have every day would be to be with you. And then we would, from that place, talk to you all day long. Pray without ceasing. Just everything about our life, we're inviting you in, we're speaking to you, we're asking of you. And we wouldn't feel guilty about it anymore. This, this guilt that's chasing us down because we're not enough or we don't pray enough or we don't pray good enough. Lord, I pray that you would obliterate that guilt. And if we've done wrong, we repent and we turn to you and we ask that you would refresh and restore this relationship, oh God. That's what we want. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it isn't about improving your prayer life. It's about having a relationship with Christ. It's not hard. It's humility. We have to respond by giving ourselves. We respond by humbling ourselves. Receive what he's offered, what he paid for on the cross, the forgiveness of our sin. And so if you're here and you need a relationship with God, and the only way that we're going to have that is by receiving the forgiveness that's offered. If you need that today, as we're in prayer right now, I'm asking you to raise your hand just to acknowledge it. Pastor Ben, I need a relationship with God through Christ. I want that. I don't just want to perform for God. I don't want to just be religious. I need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand. I want to acknowledge that today. If you're raising your hand and I didn't catch it or after the service, I'm going to pray and close, but we want you to come forward. We want to pray with you and help you understand what it means to have saving faith in a relationship with Jesus. Father, thank you for all that you're doing. We surrender to you. For those that are raising their hand today, God, I pray that you would not only seal them by the Holy Spirit, but Lord, you would secure that today. That as we have time for prayer afterwards, I pray you would secure that decision today. We thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, come on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.